okay, well, we thought we were going to have a two-front war, one against Russia, one against China, and now we're possibly dealing with a, a, a NATO proxy war with Russia and a possible proxy war with uh, Hamas and Iran and, and Egypt and, and you know that area of the world. I have with me today former CIA Larry Johnson to help me digest the news and, and give us answers on what's really going on. Larry, thank you so much for coming on today's show. You're most welcome, Stephen. Always a pleasure. So right out of the gates, this has me terrified. Senator Lindsey Graham said he's been on the phone nonstop with Middle East contacts, suggesting that the United States ought to blow Iran to kingdom come for helping Hamas attack Israel. How dangerous are Senator Graham's words and comments? Uh, he ought to be put into a rubber room with a white jacket and his arms strapped behind his back. It's crazy. You, you know, uh, the United States has refused to see any responsibility whatsoever for what has transpired in Iran. We believe we view ourselves as the complete innocent party. We've just been standing here minding our own business, and these crazy Islamic people rose up and tried to attack us. Now, that's a lie. What happened, it started with a CIA-backed coup that overthrew a democratically elected president in 1953. So we're talking 70 years ago. Mossadegh, he's overthrown. The Shah is installed. The Shah becomes our very best friend, and the Shah ends up torturing a lot of people. There is a Islamic revolution in 1979. And as part of that, uh, the minute the United States let the Shah into the United States for medical treatment, students, uh, Islamic radicals, took over the U.S. Embassy, held 52 American diplomats hostage. So you'd think that because they're holding Americans hostage, we would do everything in our power and might to fight and destroy and weaken Iran, right? No. Ronald Reagan gets into office. The hostages are released on January 20th, 1981. And Ronald Reagan then agrees to let Israel, check it out, Israel sell weapons to Iran, to the Ayatollah Khomeini. Got that? The United States blessed Israel to sell weapons to Ayatollah Khomeini, who had just released hostages. And in the ensuing two years, in 81, 82, 1983 was pivotal, Hezbollah is formed, carries out terrorist attacks, blowing up the Marine barracks in, uh, I think it was like April of 1983, and then the U.S. Embassy in Beirut in October of 83, followed by the blowing up of the U.S. Embassy annex in 1984. And during that entire time, the United States is allowing Israel to sell weapons to Iran because Iran is going uh, is fighting Iraq and the Israelis are nervous about Iraq. Now, my point in this, and this was all done under Ronald Reagan, you know, to fighting against terrorism, that the hypocrisy of our country is staggering. And the other countries around the world understand this. They see it. We're the ones who don't know that. We create a meme and a narrative that Iran bad, United States good. We're, we're always on the side of the angels. They're always on the side of Satan. And it's just not, no, that's simplistic and it's wrong. Much more complicated. And now 
if we dare to try to attack Iran, it Iran may defeat us because Iran has very robust air defense systems, and we will have to go a long, long ways in terms of travel to carry out attacks. So, I mean, it's just, that's why I say with that background and then what uh, Graham's talking about now, it's just, it's stupid and it's dangerous. Yeah, I, I looked up and it looks like Iran has about 90 million citizens. So we're, mm -hmm. we're going to go bomb 90 million people, blow them to kingdom come, send them back to Allah. Like yeah. it, it's crazy that he say, he's saying these things out loud. Although he is the one that said uh, Putin should be taken out immediately and the United States should be in, in charge of a, you know, a, a change of the guard there in Russia. Right. Uh, some of the stuff that comes out of his mouth is insane to me um well do you you do understand it's important for your your listeners to understand you remember iraq and how big of a country that was for us to move around in i mean it wasn't you know it, it took some distance i remember flying uh during the war in 2006 i was in qatar and we then flew from qatar up into iraq first we went out and to uh past fallujah to a marine base and then flew from that marine base to balad uh, where I got off the plane, it was a military aircraft. That, you know, that was a, you know, I, I spent about six hours on the plane that day, flying here and there. It's a, it's a big country. Guess what? Iran is four times the size of Iraq. And it's mountainous, very mountainous country. And in those mountain valleys, uh, there are, uh, they've got, you know, some of the nuclear facilities hidden. And, you know, Maybe Top Gun, you know, we can hit them in Top Gun too, yeah. uh, but in reality, that's not going to work. Yeah, uh, Volodymyr Zelensky of Ukraine put out a video where he is blaming this war between the Middle <clears throat> East and Israel on Vladimir Putin. Um, I don't know if he's saying this in order to uh, continue to keep attention on Ukraine. Or if he is, I'm, I'm not sure, because he said, we as NATO need to unify around helping Israel. So is he trying to get himself into NATO by his words? Or is he trying to keep the focus on Ukraine as people turn their attention to Israel? Uh, are you sure he said Putin? I thought it was Trump that was responsible. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, Donald Trump's responsible. Donald Trump's responsible for everything. You know, Putin's just a secondary cause. No, I mean, it, it's ridiculous. Um, but, you know, blaming this on Putin, Zelensky is, he, he's trying to stay relevant. You know, he went from being, you know, the celebrity, the Winston Churchill of the 21st century, uh, fetid and, and, and uh, carried around on the shoulders of Western diplomats and leaders. Uh, now, He's like uh, the picture of one of those kids on a milk carton that's missing. You know, they're looking for him. Nobody, nobody can find him, or he's wanting to be found. Uh, Iran's in a back burner, and right now, what what this means is the United States has a finite amount of our ammunition and military supplies that it can send overseas. We don't have an infinite amount; we have a finite amount. Well. You're a financial guy. You understand economics. What happens when you've got increased demand and a fixed supply? Well, price goes up, right? And in this case, the price going up means that 
Israel's going to get it. Ukraine isn't. Israel's at the front of the line because Israel has greater political clout in the United States than Ukraine does. That's simple. Yeah, well, and, and didn't the United States convince Israel to give uh, yeah. 155 uh, caliber ammunition to Ukraine? Yeah, I don't sure they did that with a clawback provision, you know, so the, the get the get the ammunition back. It's it's already expended. Yeah. But uh, now Israel needs more uh, basically uh, Patriot missiles that uh, to fire out of their Iron Dome and and they need uh, the, the artillery shells. Now, uh, I, again, I think uh, Israel has a notorious track record of doing uh, of being very arrogant and overconfident and underestimating the enemy. Uh, it's, uh, you know, I'm not to say that their anger in this is not justified because what, you know, the Hamas murdering these, these kids who were at a dance rave and, and, and women and children, it's just, you know, it's uncalled for, it's unhurt, it's, uh, you know, wrong. Now, Hamas will turn around and tell you, well, they're just paying back the Israelis for what the Israelis did to them. And there is clear evidence over time of the Israelis killing women and children uh, in Gaza. But, you know, this doesn't, this thing doesn't get settled by deciding, well, who really threw the first punch? And, you know, we'll accuse them of assault and battery and then let the other person go. Uh, this is so deep in, in the emotions of these people that there is no rational, sane way to talk about it. And so Israel is now claiming it's going to destroy all of Gaza. Now, now think about that. You know, the, the Western concept has been up till now that you punish those who are guilty or responsible for the crime. You don't punish the people. You know, you don't punish everybody in Japan because of World War II. And you don't, in theory, you don't punish everyone in Germany. And yet, we saw during World War II that the United States and Great Britain, we killed massive numbers of civilians. We didn't draw a distinction. But after the war was over, we focused on punishing those who were in command, uh, who made dis military decisions. You know, what, what should happen here is Israel should be uh, killing, capturing, trying those individuals who carried out those attacks against the civilians, who planned those attacks against the civilians, who funded those attacks against those civilians. As far as Hamas killing Israeli soldiers, hey, you put on a uniform, you get to carry a gun, that's, you know, that's the risk. Uh, you know, that's it's sort of that part is that's the ugly part of war. But that's not a war crime. But the other part of what Hamas did was a war crime. And yet, what Israel appears ready to do is to commit a war crime. There are already images out there of Israel with ha captured Hamas fighters. They are stripped completely naked, hogtied, hands, feet, face down in the dirt. Now, do you believe that the United States military would allow its soldiers to act that way against any enemy combatant? They would be brought up on court-martial charges. And yet, because of the horrific things Hamas did, most in the Western world are just going, oh, well, yeah, the, these guys deserve it. And so whenever we get into that mentality, we just, you know, all of our moralizing about, oh, the Holocaust was terrible. Well, we, we, we end up creating a rationale that foreigners 
can easily they recognize we're not sincere about the the international rules order that we claim to uh, want to uphold yeah yeah it does it gets uh tricky it gets emotional this is a multi-decade multi-hundred year bad blood uh right. between these religious factions and this part of the world um going back to Zelensky for a second he is also saying that he has military intel that shows Vladimir Putin is the one supplying stolen weapons from Ukraine to Hamas. <laughs> now, oh, if, if this funny. is true, isn't he then taking United States weapons and giving them to Hamas uh, via the Russian Federation Army? So is, is there any truth to this? Or again, is Zelensky trying to keep the evil limelight focused on Putin so that he can get money and resources on behalf of Ukraine? Well, see, here's what we know. We know that some of the weapons in the hands of Hamas, some of the rifles in particular, came from the United States. What's not clear is, did it come because of the, the, the rifles, uh, weapons that we sent to Ukraine, or the weapons that we sent to the Palestinian Authority, or the weapons we left behind in Afghanistan. So we got three different possibilities where those uh, weapons came from. And the only way you can tell is get the serial number and do a trace back. What, what's, what's hilarious about uh, Zelensky's claim, so let me see if I got this straight. You, you're beating the Russians, right? Except you got this material from the United States and you couldn't keep control of it because the Russians took it away from you. And once they took it away from you, they shipped it off to Hamas. Yeah, that makes sense, as opposed to the fact that we've already had reports going back to a year ago, July, by CBS, of extensive black market activity that a lot of the material aid sent by the United States and NATO to Ukraine was making its way into the black market and overseas. And we've seen video evidence of that, at least out of Mexico, with the, like the Jalisco cartel, I believe, that was uh, walking about uh, with a javelin anti-tank guided missile. Uh, so far in this conflict with Hamas, we've not seen the use of anti-tank guided missiles. What we have seen, though, is the use of a multiple launched rocket system, the what they call the MLRS, that is, is a fairly sophisticated system. Where that came from, off the black market, uh, did the, was it supplied by Russia? I think that's highly unlikely. Russia, Russia in the past has always been very careful about who it gives weapons to. And they, the Russians have always been much better about keeping track of uh, their, their aid, much more so than the United States. Yeah, well, my, my thinking was, okay, we know for a fact weapons and money are going into Ukraine. Uh, it's being stolen uh money it's being uh you know taken by people high up in authority maybe there's kickbacks to the united states who knows but uh there's also a lot being sold on the black market yeah. now when when russia takes over an area i'm sure they're not like good thing we captured this area and picked up their extra weapons so that we can send them to hamas i i just don't believe that that's what's happening especially because putin has been receiving weapons from Iran. Yeah. So it's not like they're like, oh, well, we have so many extra weapons coming in from Iran. Uh, we'll take credit for diverting them back to Hamas 
so that they can attack Israel. It's like the 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 flow chart and the logic just doesn't really add up. Yeah, there, there's always a lot of uh, heavy propaganda element in this uh, where, you know, what concerns me right now is there's a lot of uh, speech and writing in the West agitating for an enhanced escalation with Iran, going, you know, going to war with Iran, attacking Iran. And that will be, as I we talked earlier, extraordinarily dangerous and will, you know, it will potentially expose the United States as a bit of a paper tiger. You know, we we all we've always talked a, a you know a tough game, but think back even to the early days of the attack in Iraq in two thousand and three. Uh, despite all of our shock and awe, despite all of the bombing and all the explosions and said in that and Baghdad and other cities, uh, the Iraqis didn't fold immediately. You know, it was it, it took more than a month of uh, combat activity to suppress then what was you know not a real air force. Uh, so uh, Iran has a real air force. They have uh, real air defense systems. So, you know, it would not be like fighting Iraq. And, and that's the danger here. All right. I don't know if you saw this or not, but yesterday, Newsweek magazine floated the idea that maybe this attack was carried out because former President Donald Trump was careless with documents stored at Mar-a-Lago. What is the likelihood that Newsweek <laughs> is floating this idea to slander a man they don't want to become president again versus this being a true possible story uh, rooted in reality? I, I, when I read that, I was like, everything gets blamed on Donald Trump. And now yeah, you yeah. Know, they're blaming this war between Hamas and Israel on Donald Trump. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. There, uh, what magical document could could uh, allow that to take place? That, um, you know, what we're looking at is one of the most massive intelligence failures we've in, in, the, in the history of modern war. Uh, Israel didn't, you know, they failed to detect this. Now, Hamas, one of the reasons, you know, some people have, let me step back. Some people have speculated that, in fact, Bibi Netanyahu and, and the military command, they knew this was going to happen, that they allowed it to happen because they were looking for an excuse to destroy Hamas and to unify the Israeli public behind them. Uh, I think that's silly. Uh, I, I think it's ludicrous for the following reasons. Number one, Netanyahu has a <clears throat> divided government. So not everybody in his government's his friend. And the, the if he did something like that it would be very difficult to contain that intelligence because it means that you're ta you're talking about Mossad Shin Bet and uh, unit 8200 so three different intelligence organizations uh in Israel that would have that information and suppress it somebody would talk so far nobody has and if if the word got out that Netanyahu knew it was coming looked the other way while Israel has suffered its largest loss of life since uh, the Yom Kippur War in 1973, you know he'd be he'd be crucified, uh, and probably literally crucified, not just figuratively. Yeah. So uh, that that's 
that that's ridiculous. So what you've had here, though, is an intelligence failure. And that, I think that was brought on in part because Hamas, based upon you know, my past experience, they they don't deal with electronic communications. They're not sending text messages. They're not on their smartphones. They do things word of mouth, face-to-face meetings, and passing uh, documents. That means you've got to have human sources that have penetrated, that can get that word out. Uh, this would suggest that despite Israel's reputation for having great human intelligence, it, it, they don't, at least with respect to Hamas. So uh, Hamas was able to you know, put together this operation. It's not like they were massing forces with tanks. I mean, these, these were guys on motorcycles and paragliders. You know, you get you get five, six paragliders in a field, you know, they're either going out for a day of recreational flying or maybe they're going to go launch an attack on a run, a desert rave party. You, you, you know, there's no way to, to know that. So this this just highlights some of the limitations of intelligence that human intelligence is still probably the most important tool you need for preventing surprise because of the, all the electronic collections, they fall short. Just like uh, I, I had heard that they were trying to use artificial intelligence more than they had in the past. But like you say, having that human brain, that human eyeball, that human experience on the intel, on the data still really makes such a huge difference when it comes to actually digesting the immense amount of data that comes through an intelligence apparatus on a daily basis. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just, uh, you know, people call it their spidey sense. If, if you walk in, into an unfamiliar building and you see immediately uh, a large dog dish and chains and, and bones scattered around on the floor, you're, you might think, oh, this may not be necessarily a secure location or, you know, is there a big dog here? Uh, so, it, you know, the brain, you're right, the human brain has a capacity to identify some things that seem out of sort. But, uh, you know, what this has exposed, it caught, it caught Israel completely off guard. And I can't emphasize enough that, you know, the West has this romantic fantasy about Israeli invincibility, superiority. Uh, and they forgot what happened in 2006 when Israel invaded southern Lebanon. In the past, they had easily, always easily defeated Hezbollah. This time, they got chewed up. Uh, Israeli tank columns were stopped, tanks were destroyed, tank crews killed, uh, because Hezbollah had both improved in its training and in its tactics. And they were able to uh, create bunkers, pillboxes, trenches, uh, anti-tank uh, devices. And, and it really, uh, they beat the Israelis. And the Israelis came out of that saying, holy smokes, this is not the Hezbollah we knew. Now, Hamas has always lagged behind Hezbollah in terms of military organization, discipline, and training. And what uh, I, I fear that, you know, as Israel has announced, we're going to go into Gaza, we're going to go into Gaza. Okay, yeah, tell everybody what you're going to do so that they have time to prepare uh, defensive positions, pillboxes tank traps. And, uh, you know, Israel looks like it's sort of committing the same error that the Nazis did when they first attacked Stalingrad. They bombed the city into rubble. 
That'll teach those Russians we're going to destroy all the buildings. Well, what it created were natural obstacles that tanks could not traverse mm -hmm. and natural hiding positions that soldiers could use to shoot from. As a result, it was the Nazis inadvertently constructed defensive positions for the Russians. And I, I fear that if Israel pursues this leveling of uh, Gaza, they're going to do exactly the same thing. The only, the only problem they face is, uh, unlike Stalingrad, Gaza is a, you know, 141 square miles. So it's a big, big piece of real estate, and it's heavily populated and densely populated with buildings. So, uh, in the, you know, Israel in the past assumed that it was always able to crush these guys, and yet, uh, again, they're imposing, they're doing to the Gaza Strip what the Nazis tried to do to the Soviets and Leningrad, now St. Petersburg. Surround it, cut off food, cut off water, cut off electricity. And the result of that by the Nazis was it killed um, uh, almost a million citizens of uh, then Leningrad. And, you know, that's the same that could happen here unless they open up a civilian, you know, a, a, cor a corridor that uh, women, children, non-combatants can uh, exit. So yeah. we'll we'll see what that you know that decision is still out there to be made. Yeah, uh, Defense Secretary uh, General Lloyd Austin has ordered aircraft carrier USS Gerald Ford to the Eastern Mediterranean <laughs> to to float off the the western coast of of Israel. Um, is that just a show of support to Israel? Do you think that they'll actually call on their that aircraft carrier to send air defense or missile defense? Uh, and could they be opening themselves up to an attack being in such a small, uh, basically cul-de-sac area of yeah. the Mediterranean? Well, uh, this is not the first time the United States has put like a carrier task force off the coast of Israel, Lebanon. If you remember uh, back in 1983, the United States uh, put its ships off the coast of Lebanon, and we were shelling Hezbollah positions in the Bekaa Valley. And boy, we were going to teach them a lesson then. And what did they do? Uh, they blew up the Marine barracks, and then they blew up the U.S. Embassy. So if, if we decide to militarily get engaged in this way, then we open ourselves up to, again, that kind of retaliation. Uh, number one. Number two, the, the these ships have limited tactical use. Yeah, they can launch airstrikes, but as you, if the United States starts launching airstrikes on Palestinian civilian targets, because it's, you know within the Gaza Strip, we're not talking about fixed military Hamas bases. We're talking, this is civilian infrastructure throughout. And the Hamas has inserted and you know hidden itself within that. So we end up killing civilians. Well, that's not going to play well in the Arab world at all. The Arab and Muslim world will be outraged. And that outrage will then translate itself most likely into attacks on U.S. diplomatic and military facilities in other countries, as well as U.S. citizens. So, you know, that that's the second risk. The, the, the best the ships could do would be to ferry any American citizens that are in Israel that want to get out and can't because they've closed the airspace 
and sort of put them, you know, ferry them out in uh, boats and put them on the ships and then take them out of the area. So th th this is one of those sort of uh, symbolic muscle flexing. And, and you and you make a good point that th those ships, if they were in, if they're in the Persian Gulf, they, I, I would say, yes, they'd be vulnerable to a hypersonic missile. Uh, it's not likely uh, that uh, any kind of attack on those ships will take place unless they engage in hostile activity against the civilian population. Then I think that takes uh, their uh, their immunity off. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Thank you for that. Um, final question. Uh, former Representative Tulsi Gabbard has spoken very openly about her worry that things could spin out of control between Russia and Ukraine and end up in World War III or worse, uh, nuclear weapon use. Uh, couldn't that same worry uh, apply here where something could spin out of control and suddenly this becomes uh, a very heated war between Iran and now Saudi Arabia jumps in and Egypt jumps in and the United States jumps in and Lebanon and it just, you know, Yemen, and this thing spins out of control or are we kind of beyond that well i think i think there's it's far more likely here than it is in with the uh, war in russia and ukraine at least with respect to russian decision making putin's very rational he's not emotional he doesn't he doesn't get so angry that he's just going to pound the table and say we're going to kill them all like you have American generals retired saying, like you have American politicians saying, like you have Israeli politicians and military personnel saying. I mean, they're, it's, it's irrational. It's emotional. And uh, I, there's a scenario I can conceive that uh, Israel gets into uh, Gaza Strip and is getting chewed up and chewed up significantly to the point that it's not going to be able to sustain that combat effort. And then it starts, you get infiltrations and attacks from other groups like Hezbollah on the north. Uh, the Taliban have talked about uh, sending troops through Syria uh, to attack uh, Israel. And so if Israel finds itself backed into a corner, it very well could uh, be feel the need to use a nuclear weapon of some sort, like just in order to send a message, you know, stop it or we'll kill you all. Uh, so that, that I think this thing with uh, this war in between Israel, Hamas, and, and perhaps the rest of the Arab world could get out of hand and and make the nuclear option seem viable. Yeah. Well, on top of that, then you add in uh, the limited resource of oil, and you add in religious tension, mm -hmm. where like Russia and Ukraine is. USSR versus USSR, Slav versus Slav, uh, Orthodox Christian versus Orthodox Christian, where here you have, uh, you know, uh, Islam versus Judaism. You have this fight over oil, control from the Mediterranean Sea, the Holy Land, uh, Abraham, uh, you know, these stories yeah. that go back for, for you know, 2,500 years or so. So, um, well, Larry, I appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your insight. You've definitely made me think differently on several of these big topics. Um, if people want to follow you for more information, what is the best way to do that? 
I'm writing at sonar21.com, S-O-N-A-R-21.com. Okay, I'll make sure to put that down in the video description and also the pinned comment so that people can follow you. Thank you very much. Uh, always appreciate you. People love having you uh, come on the show and explain things with your analytical mind. And I hope you have a great rest of your day.